You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Owen, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, Kate, it's great to be with you today. We, um, there's three of us in the studio today. Yes, friend of the podcast, Tash is back with us in person in our Melbourne studio. Woohoo, keen to be here. Mm. And we're talking limiting money beliefs, which is something we've been discussing a lot in the office recently. Yes, we have. Uh, and we talked about it uh, last week in an event as well. What holds people back? Tash, what is a limiting money belief? Oh, what is that definition? Um, well, oh God, I don't know. <laughs> How do I summarize that nicely? <laughs> Pass it on to you. Please. Something that holds you back from moving forwards to your financial yeah. goals. Maybe a mindset. Would you say it's a mindset? Yeah, definitely. Well, things or reasons for stopping you from doing something, I guess. There's many of them. Um, we all have our reasons for not wanting to do things in general, like holding us back from exercising or any kind of healthy habits. So, limiting money beliefs, those that hold us back from improving our finances. Mm. Yeah, we've talked about um, things like you know, behavioral psychology on the show mm. before and the little quirks of our mind and how they play tricks on us. <laughs> um, like we've talked about how like mental accounting is one thing where if you get money from two different sources, you treat it differently. For example, if you have $10 and you earn $10, how do you feel about that versus if you spend $10? Um, those are this exactly the same amount of money, but we feel differently about those two things. Uh, so there's many different ways our mind plays tricks on us, I guess. And today we're going to talk about some of the primary reasons people don't do something about their money. Um, this is delving into psychology. We talked um, recently about this as well on the show. Kate, did you have any limiting money beliefs growing up? I think growing up, I just, money was, I don't know, money was weird growing up because it was something you needed for things with friends and family and it was whether you you're always comparing yourself to your friends based off if you could buy this item or if your parents gave you some lunch money and 
theirs didn't or vice versa. Um, I just remember those situations growing up or some friends got more Christmas presents than you and you didn't. Um, That's probably how I saw money growing up. I mean, I didn't think about it too often apart from that small amount of pocket money. But um, I guess it's interesting just thinking back to my the very start of my personal finance journey and investing. It was, um, I don't really know what to do. And that kind of led me down that rabbit hole. But what about you? I definitely did. Like I definitely had limiting money beliefs um, and not just money beliefs. Like it was just basically the way I was raised is like um, mum was more of like less inclined to think kind of like logically about her money and invest longer term. So she was more focused on like hard work and to an extent dad was too, but neither of them were investors. Neither of them um, like really explain the stock market. Neither of them saw a financial advisor, all of these different types of things. Mum actually remarked that one day there was an AMP advisor that was like door knocking in our area. And she was like, um, she regrets not speaking to them. So, you know, that we didn't really have any introduction to money. And so it was always really a, a point of insecurity for me. I think you kind of touched on two different things there with like, what's your money story? And then how does mm. that shape your money beliefs as well? Like your money stories, all that yeah. stuff that's happened. And then what beliefs did you have from that? Like I grew up the same with like a very open family, I guess, as maybe Kate's. Um, we all talked about money, but I thought investing was always for people with finance degrees. So my limiting money belief was like, oh, investing is really hard and it's only for people who've studied finance and it's only for older people or it's only for people with more money. Mm. And that was kind of shaped by that earlier money story. Mm. So I remember when we spoke to you the first time on the podcast, you said that you would have conversations about money and that was one of the most important things. Yeah, yeah. My parents are very open about it. Um, they always discuss their mortgages or budgeting for holidays and everything like that, which definitely like gave me a really great start into like the world of personal finance. Um, but it was definitely interesting seeing my mum and dad's different perspectives of money because mum was very risk averse and wanted to save and not really invest or spend as much. Whereas dad was like, let's buy a house and then go on holiday and let's mm. see what happens and move around. So <laughs> having the two perspectives is definitely very interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We spoke with Emma um, from Broke Generation recently. And she basically mentioned that one of the easiest ways to track this is to like to, to try and identify what your limiting money belief is to see where your money's going and see then how that impacts your psychology, like how you feel about it um, and how like is there somewhere you want to be and you're not there? Mm. Um, is there things that you don't want in your money future, like your financial future? Are you heading quicker towards that than you are the other things? I don't know if you guys have any kind of strategies or ways for people to think about it like is there anything that you can think of where you know, people could do an activity because like for example even doing a budget has, is a real point of anxiety for people because that's can be like one of the one of the things it's like i'm not good with numbers you I think know. like tracking my spending made a huge difference, like not sitting down and trying to make the perfect budget, but just being like, where is my money going in the first place? So writing everything down. And I think Emma's point, if anyone follows her, she's awesome. But mm. um, like seeing where it's going and if that actually aligns to your goals of the future. So I think, Kate, you've done an activity on that as well. What are the yeah. 10 things you value? And then what are the 10 things you spend money on the most? Mm. Yeah, I think that's really important and spending in line with your values. But even more to these money limiting money beliefs, it's more sort of coming to that understanding that, no one's born knowing all of these financial skills. Um, mm. we, we all say we wish we learned about it at school. There's all those memes that go around the internet. Like, I know about Pythagoras' theorem, but I don't know about how to do my tax return. Mm. But none of us are born knowing this. So we actually, some people, the process is sped up because they go and study commerce or they work in finance and it's sort of, or they've got those family conversations. So it helps speed up that journey. But we don't 
just come out knowing how to deal with money and all of this stuff. So it's more coming to that understanding that, okay, I'm not magically going to know how to manage my finances and it's something I want to put some time in and to learn about. Mm. And I think over to overcoming that and knowing it's something, okay, you might not know much about money and investing right now, but it's something you can change if you're willing to put in the work. Yeah. Mm. I think we were joking about it the other day. Like if you made, if you wrote a finance book or an investing book, you could write it in a few pages really because the investing principles are very simple when it comes down to it, but it's all our mindset and beliefs around it and our habits that make it a lot harder. Mm. Um, Morgan Housel's book, The Psychology of Money, like we'll bring that up again, I'm sure, in the the rest (laughs) of the discussion. But at the the end of the day, the psychology of money is like all about psychology and perspective. Um, Let's just dive into these five limiting money beliefs that we see all the time from people. And maybe we can just riff on each one. Um, So the first one is, I'm not good with money and numbers. So I don't know who wants to go first on that. I can go with that one. Um, (laughs) I have never worked, apart from this job, I guess, maybe, but I've never worked in finance. I always like worked in healthcare. I studied like at school, I did human bio and chemistry, I guess, not really like anything businessy. And I wasn't very good at maths, but like you don't need to be really good with numbers to be good with finance. Like you can have apps that track your spending. Um, You can have your investments automated. Like you don't have to sit and look at these huge graphs. Like when you imagine someone investing, you've got like the trader with the huge like double monitors and everything. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And it's not really like that. So you don't have to be that good with numbers. And like there's calculators, like we don't really calculate stuff in our head these days anyway. Mm. And like, the Money Smart website has so many fantastic compound interest calculators mm. and things you don't, and even just spreadsheets and templates you can use that you don't need to. I don't know. I don't think we deal with numbers much. Like, no. apart from you analyzing companies, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't really think about numbers and fine details and making calculations. It's more of just the, um, as Emma mentioned in that podcast, giving every dollar kind of a job and working out how you're going to allocate and organize your money rather than thinking about it as a more restrictive thing. And I mean, I was in an event the other day and a young woman, um, we were talking about superannuation and um, the number one thing that she said is, I'm not a numbers person. I think that belief can really hold us back from moving forward on our personal finance and investing journey because at the end of the day, it is more about that psychology and the mindset and putting a plan in place. And most of that is in words, not in numbers. And it's just numbers in the bank account and in the investment account, but it's words that surround that picture. Mm. Mm. I found that um, designers and more creative types tend to be the best with money. Like if I could be like a generalization, for some reason, the designers in my life have always seemed to be really good with money. And they're not people that are like, you know, science focused. And I think the reason is that they design their life and then they want to work back from that. So what do I need to do to get to that point? They don't necessarily sit there with a convoluted spreadsheet and be like, I'm going to put money first. They put their life first. Yeah, how do I optimize every single yeah. dollar? Yeah, yeah. It's just like they because they t- appreciate these things, like the finer details. And so that's like a, a, a common trait I've seen with a lot of designers. And that's a generalization. Some mm. of them, surely. Um, <laughs> I'm sure not that good with money. But um, the other thing is like, there's this formula and I'm going to, I think we're going to bring up Morgan House a lot, or at least I am. But Morgan House wrote this blog like six years ago where he, he, he drew the formula, wrote out the formula for what it takes to predict where a baseball is going to land and so you can catch it. And it's like three lines long. Like it's a really super convoluted formula. It looks like a parabola going up and then coming down and you're predicting where it's going to come. And you just go and catch it with your glove. And at the end of the day, you know what? Most people don't think that. Most people don't do the formula in their head. They just walk over and catch the ball. Yeah. Right? So we just, we don't think necessarily about the formula. 
when we're trying to predict these things, we just go to where it's going to land. We're not trying to catch it perfectly. We're just trying to make it work well. Yeah, we're just going to get over there and catch it. Doesn't be perfect, yeah. And that's how most people can be with the money. They don't have to know all the formulas. Yeah. You can just use the money smart compound interest calculator to see, okay, that's possible. You don't even need to use that though. Like going back, you don't need to do all those calculations. You just have to set up an automatic transfer and start Mm. really, really, really small. Um, Yeah. Because I think we always talk about these cool calculators and stuff, but they're not always necessary as well. No, they're not. Yeah. Yeah. That one was for me though, just like an eye-opening thing. I loved it as well. Yeah. 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 I used it a lot. Yeah. It's just like, oh, these tiny little things and then that amount of money. Okay, cool. How about this one then? This one maybe is related. I'm not smart enough. Kate, what do you think? Yeah, and it's another one I hear all the time and probably one I potentially overcame myself um, a Mm, few years ago, but um, thinking that you had to be a person who's quote-unquote smart and I don't know, that was more of a limiting like lifestyle belief I had in my head that there were smart people and there was just everybody else. And so given I wasn't putting myself in the whatever I self-defined as smart, I think that was quite limiting because I didn't think I could do certain things or I could, couldn't could say things or I couldn't be in certain conversations because I didn't identify as that. And I think once I overcame that, I'm just like, everyone's just a person. Mm. Um, and mm. why am I putting people into categories? And by not putting myself in that category, I was holding my ba- myself back in what I was studying and what I was doing for work in the way I spoke. Um, and I think overcoming that barrier and just going, well, I'm smart enough to work towards my goals. Why do I need to fit into this category? And why am I splitting people into categories that actually is just holding me back? I think that was really helpful just going, okay, I have enough intelligence to actually come up with a plan and I have enough intelligence to read critically through Google and look at different sources and books and podcasts and resources and actually start making some headway by just doing 30 minutes a week and working on my finances that way. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a mirage, the finance industry. You kind of see it from a distance and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, it's so amazing. All the guys in business suits yeah, doing really smart things at their computers. Smart. Yeah, and yeah. then you get up and you're like, oh, actually, no, it's just like another patch of dirt. No one knows like, what they're doing, really. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful like, realization. Just, just people and a lot of people you meet working in different roles in the finance industry, they also don't have their financial shit together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're still, like I've met so many people working in finance because finance is not all people trading. That's actually very minimal <laughs> part of finance. There's a lot of people from all sorts of industries working in the financial services industry and most of them are still just working it out. Mm. Yeah, they're just figuring it out. It's interesting comparing my mom and dad because my poor parents have been brought into this (laughs) network all the time. But my mom was always like, oh, like dad's the smarter one. He, like an engineer, he knows what he's doing is he'll do the finances. And then last year I got her to set up her own investment account and she was like, oh, look at me doing it all by myself. Mm. And she like Mm. invests $200 a month that's just hers and she watches it and she loves it. But that was like her limiting belief always was like, oh, dad's the smarter one. So he'll do the money stuff. Stuff. Yeah, I see that a lot. Yeah, yeah, you see it a lot with like men and women. It's like a gender stereotype. Yeah, right? like yeah. The women do the budgeting, the men do the investing. Which, sorry, gents, like <laughs> all of the numbers say it should be the other way around. Basically, yeah. like the, and the mom's women short, should be doing the investing. Yeah, mom's short She's better than dad because she's less impulsive and she's got a plan. And dad's like, "Oh, what triple leverage share am I buying today?" Well, mom's <laughs> like, "Here's my ETF, <laughs> yeah. doing well." <laughs> yeah, and we see that a lot, right? Um, yeah, it's so. I would say that it's actually got nothing to do with brains. Well, not nothing, but there's very little to do with it. When I started my investing, I started out working from home. Like I studied a lot of my degree from home, then worked from home for a lot. And so I always felt like I was missing out. Like, oh, there's these other smart people on Collins Street in Melbourne or George Street or Wall Street in New York. They must really know their stuff. Like they must know things that I don't know, surely. And then I got a job in the city on Collins Street interviewing the best fund managers and I was like, hold on a second. 
this guy or girl, she's doing exactly the same thing that I'm yeah. doing. Probably mm. worse, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. actually, I can do this. Well, I guess Never when mind. you like, look at active versus passive funds, and you're like, oh, these are these smart people managing all this money and they're not doing yeah. that well long term. That like all of us, norm- not normal people, regular people could just do. Yeah. Mm. yeah. A lot of like what we do with our personal finances and investing, it's more common sense and just actually spending a bit of time and care putting a plan together that works for you. It's not, there's no like secret magic source behind it mm. that you only discover if you work in the finance finance industry and I think it's just those comparisons in all areas and I think we we need to get um, stop saying I'm not smart enough in all areas of our lives because I've really noticed that actually has mm-hmm. held me and other people back. Well, everything's so simple when you take it back, like spend less than you earn and invest the rest and like how you get there, it doesn't really matter and we try and complicate it so much more than we need to. We do and we become very um, like combative if someone else does it differently. Yeah. Like I've found that like you can't have an opinion that's like dissenting or negative on something that someone else thinks is good. It's almost because it's so sensitive, the topic. Um, But it's really, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what someone else does. It's just what you do. And money is very personal. We know that. So the third one, which is a very popular one, and it's probably a reasonable limiting money belief because this would actually, depending on how you take this, it can actually, I think this can actually be reasonable in some ways. And it's, I do not have time. And the reason why I say this is the devil is in the detail here. Some people legitimately don't have time to spend eight hours a day studying their finances. So they should choose an option that's easier for them. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's reasonable. But in general, everyone has time and they should make time for investing. Especially now with all the or cool money. apps out there. Like you can yeah. sign up to something like UpBank where it's all automated in the app in terms of saving and having goals and stuff in there. So, mm. yeah, I hear it a lot as well. But I think it's just like that limiting belief before, like I'm not smart enough and I have to spend all this time learning so I don't have time to do that full stop. Yeah. Really, it's just like half an hour a week would change everything. Yep. Yeah, and I think it comes down to priorities. I've said I don't have time for so many different things in my life, but I found time for other things that maybe were not as important. So, mm. and it's you don't have to learn this all in one day. It's not yeah, you don't need sure. to spend eight hours a day for a whole week learning about your finances. It can be as simple as half an hour every Saturday when you've just got time for yourself to start looking into things and exploring your super and reading some websites and looking at some apps and things like that. It doesn't have to, like, what do you say? It's like a three-year apprenticeship, sort of learning about your finances and working all of that out. So, I mean, sometimes we expect those overnight results to suddenly wake up and we we know about our finances and we're ready to go. Mm. But it is really a long journey of discovery. And I think we've all kind of gone through that long journey and we're still learning every day. Mm. There's some basic principles here that apply. Um, you know, there are basically two things that everyone should have a basic understanding of in life. It's probably like health and wellness and money because that's kind of like how the world turns. Um, so you don't need to know everything about like medicine to know that there are good and bad choices. And so if you have some very basic principles, you can get by with the limited amount of time that you have um, by doing things that are like, you know, like low costs, invest for the long term. Don't get sucked into get rich quick schemes. Like these are very simple Don't things. Don't use buy now, pay later. Yeah, these are very simple things about you know just being sensible, basically. Like you said, common mm. sense, um, and that doesn't take a lot of time. Just like you know that if you have Big Macs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's probably not going to be good for your longer term and your health. Sorry, McDonald's. Yeah. Um, but you know these things. Like they're not. You don't need to know the specifics of what a Big Mac does to your body. Uh, you just need to know enough to get by. Mm. Yeah. And even if you think about future you in thirty years time, if you don't put some time, even if it's just that half an hour a week or even a month aside to look after yourself and your finances now you're going to be it's it's a lot harder in 30 years time yeah, to, to make up. those changes catch up um like 
changing your super now versus in 30 years' time is a huge difference. And so I think you do need to put yourself first in some respect, even if it's just that half an hour a week or a month to work on your finances because, like, at the end of the day, you're the one that cares the most about your financial future and you're the one that can secure it. Yes, you can talk to financial advisors and accountants and get help, but you need to sort of lead that journey. And I think we don't think enough about what our life would be like in 30 years' time and so we don't spend that time looking after that future version of ourselves either. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it, it's easy it's easy for us to do because we have, like, behavioural biases that are, like, telling us like everything now is important versus mm. the delayed gratification is harder. Um, but again, that's why like those simple tools around like what, if you did invest a small amount of money in the future, like visualize that now, what would that would look like? That's actually quite easy to do. The other one is, um, this is a very popular one. And I did actually see this in the ASX Shell study. It's like, I'll never be wealthy. So what's the point? Um, the other one is probably like, which is related to this is like, you can't take it with you, which is people saying, like, you can't take the money with you. So why would I bother saving? Live in the moment, man. Um, yeah. Uh, Tash, what do you think? I think it's like everyone like tries to, I don't know, when we do the compound interest calculators, where like in 40 years time, we'll have this many millions of dollars. But there's all the steps along the way that people aren't really looking into as well, like your emergency funds, so you can quit your job or, I don't know, help you through <laughs> an unexpected expense. Um, all of that stuff really helps as well. And like, Having control of your finances now gives you so much more freedom in the now as well or in the next few years, not just in 40 years' time. And mm. our definition of wealth is quite interesting. I think there's like the negative stigma around it where people are like, oh, you can't aspire to be wealthy. So what's the point of all of this? But like wealthy for you can mean so many different things. Yeah. Mm. I think lifestyle, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, define it. I think even you can feel wealthy just because you've got that emergency fund, as you mentioned, yeah. and have that choice to leave a bad situation or leave a job or change industries or drop to part time. And it's it's about giving yourself those choices. And I think I, I've seen this probably the most with family and friends. It's the, okay, I've only got 50 or or $100 left at the end of each month. Why shouldn't I just enjoy that? Because I'm... That fifty or hundred dollars is never going to add up to anything. And the marketing messages behind a lot of things I see is like you deserve all these things right now, but it's yep. like you can take control of that and have those things later if you set those habits up now. Like we, I, I find the marketing really hard. But it's like you deserve this stuff, and it's like, do we really deserve all this stuff? If it would help us so much more in the future if we've taken control of it first. Mm. Yeah, there are so many things working against us in that way. Mm. Um, yeah, it, the the uh, the Happy Money book. I keep going back to that because it's the. It shows you the marketing at work. Um, so I'll never be wealthy. Well, if you just chuck it in the compound interest calculator again, you we'll will. Bring it up. Yeah, you will. Hundred dollars. Yeah. What is it? Hundred dollars a week for forty years, and you're a millionaire. There you go. So, but forty years, Tash. I know. Years. I might not live that long. <laughs> yeah. Probably will. Statistics say. <laughs> but we the thing will. is, it, like you said, the steps are important along the way because, mm. like, we say, like, oh, try and get rid of the debt first, then build your emergency fund. Um, and so on and so forth. Every step that you take makes you feel better yeah. as you go. And before you know it, you know, I think Charlie Munger, this is a bit out of touch, but Charlie Munger, famous investor, said that the first million's the hardest, right? Mm -hmm. And then everyone after that doesn't really, you know, it takes it's shorter and shorter. But it's like the first $10 is, is the mm -hmm. hardest. And yeah. then the next $10, it doesn't matter what the amount of money is. You just, before you know it, the thing's rolling by itself downhill like a snowball. Yeah. No one really wants to get to 40 and be like, oh, I don't want this million dollars anymore. That's I it, wish yeah. I hadn't have saved it. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's even that taking control of your finances and even investing, whether it's 10 or $20, it make it suddenly you turn from a consumer in the economy and you just feel like you're part of the system and you can never sort of find any footing and you become an owner of the economy. And so suddenly you're actually part of this thing and you can kind of see how everything fits together. And I think- 
I mean, personally, it does give me a lot more confidence and sort of I can kind of understand things a little bit more and how all the puzzle pieces fit together um, and feel a bit more empowered about the whole journey. Mm. Mm. The last one we've got here is, and this is very, very common, and this one is- You said that to all of them. <laughs> this, one, this, one, this one is often broken. So once the first thing is done, and this is, I'm afraid to make the wrong choice in brackets, analysis, paralysis, meaning I'm too scared. There are so many choices. I don't know what I'm going to do. I might lose money. Mm-hmm. Like, I want the perfect plan with the lowest fees and I'm not going to start until I have that it. perfect plan. Barefoot Investor did tell me this, that, and this, and therefore anything else is not acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, no knocking on Scott. He's brilliant. But um, <laughs> but that's basically where like a lot of people get these kind of this belief from mm-hmm. is like, we've got to have the right choice right now. Yeah. Um, but I feel, feel like that doesn't exist. Hmm. At least not for everyone. No, there is no one perfect financial plan. No matter how hard we look for it, things change and adapt. I think we've all changed our plans along the way. Mm. No one's been like, cool, this is my one plan forever. I've nailed it. Yeah. I think if we got all of our tens of thousands of listeners and lined them up and we looked at every single person's finances, no one's would be identical. Everyone's would be, even if they use similar investment products or they use similar banks, no one's plan would be identical. And I think that just goes to show that it's so individual, it's so unique. It's not a one size fits all. You have to find your own path and your own journey. And I mean, I think the main one we see holding people back is that tr- decision of making a, choosing a brokerage account. Yeah. That one seems to hold people yes. back time and time <laughs> yeah, again. That's the number yeah. one question. It's not even what to buy, it's which brokerage account. And what was that? Um, Exam- the supermarket the one. supermarket yeah. that Sarah used last week. Yeah, so it's like if you want to go buy a chocolate bar, you can go to the petrol station, Costco, Woolies, Coles, all of those places, but it doesn't really matter where you go. You just want the chocolate bar. Same mm. with brokers. They all have different things. Like the the convenient, like the petrol station's more convenient. Costco might be a little bit cheaper, but you have to buy in bulk. Like which one suits you the best? It doesn't really matter. And you can go to Woolies one day and then Costco the next. Mm. But I think we focus so much on like, oh, what about Coles versus Woolies? Where will I save my 10 cents? That's it, yeah. Um, and the, the key message is get started. Yeah. Um, like the key message is, and that's what shatters this one, is basically yeah. once you start, then you realize it's really not that bad. And we, that's why we say start small. It's really not that bad. It's really not that bad it's if you really go to the dentist sometimes. <laughs> just a little brick. Um, no, but it's, it's, what was that, Kate? <laughs> just a little brick. Yeah, with a needle. What are you <laughs> no, that's what I was I wasn't thinking yeah, anything else. Get your head out of the gutter. Oh. Get your head out of the gutter. Kate's face was great just then. <laughs> No, but it's, it's true. Like, start small and start early. Like, yeah, that's basically everyone's choice. Just start small, start early. Because if you do make a mistake, you know, it's not going to cost you as much. Yeah. And on the upside, you've got a long time to recover. And step back and think about if it's really worth spending two months researching how to save 50 cents. I feel like that really got to me in the end because I had that moment as well when I first started where I was like, oh, I need the perfect broker and the perfect ETF. But it's like, is it really worth it? Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Not yeah. that if you think about it over like 40 or 50 years. Yeah, if I just like, invest now. Why don't you just get started? Yeah, yeah especially when I was it. investing last year as well. Like the market's going up so quickly as well. It's like you're kind of wasting time. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a, this is a weird like anecdote. This is from Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's like this space guy. Weird anecdote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know me. That's what yeah. I do. He, he has this, like he always gets questioned because um, he's like a big space nerd and he's just like all about it. And he always gets the question, why are we spending billions of dollars exploring space when we still have poverty, we still have climate change, we still have all these things? We still haven't explored the bottom of our own ocean Th- that's yet. That's it, yeah. yeah. And he's like, well, imagine if you said that to the cavemen and cave women before they came out of the cave. Don't go out of the cave. Like, you can't go out. It's too scary to go there. No one's been out there before. But as soon as you go out, it's actually not that bad. And you discover a whole world of opportunities. I feel like that's what it was for me when I started investing. I was like, yeah. oh, okay, so scary. 
But once I've done it, I'm out there and I can see all these things. And We're in space. We're, in We're space. off to Mars. I had such a different example of like when you go for a run and you're like, I really don't want to. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be horrible. And then you go and then you're like, oh, that was great. That's brilliant. Yeah, but your space example is awesome. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I like the fitness one. Uh, come on, Kate, give us one. Do you have one? I the get assignment. Tash did. When you start an assignment, you're like, oh, this is fine. Sorry. Oh, well. Yeah, uni we assignments start, they're very scary at the beginning. And as you slowly chip away and you split it into lots of different sections, and you're like, I'm going to do half an hour today and half an hour on the weekend and five hours next week. And you do it, you chip away at it, and suddenly it's done. Or well, you're Hopefully, like, me, I'm not procrastinate. I do mine the night before. <laughs> yeah. But it was like, oh, this isn't, like, I can do it. It's fine. Why have I spent a whole month thinking about this thing that I could have gotten over with in one day yeah. if I really yeah. wanted to? And some people are really good at just ripping off the band aid, and we could say, open a brokerage account, and they'd go, today and just open one straight away and some people really want to compare all the different options but when you're starting with a small amount of money you can't go too far wrong Mm. because you can open a brokerage account put your ten dollars in if you don't like it you can close it you can get another one you can have open have them all multiple open and be chasing down the paperwork Um, (laughs) my tax time (laughs) yes yeah but you can open multiple brokerage accounts most of these things you can test fairly simply and cheaply and if it doesn't work, you can change course. Like there's a lot of changing in the first five to ten years of your financial journey and figuring out how things work and adjusting your plan and oh, you've discovered more about this particular investment and that's the way you want to go. So I mean it's mm. just I like to frame it as experimenting and you're in your science lab, you've got your beakers out and you're just <laughs> seeing how different things work together. Okay, that budgeting method doesn't work. Okay, throw that out, we'll try something different. Mm. This investment's not I'm not comfortable with it. All right, we'll try something else. Okay, I want to change my risk profile. It's like it's a full-on experiment. Mm. Yeah, Mm. but you're always like taking more steps in the right direction. Yeah, Mm. just like slowly moving forward through it. Like a snake. (laughs) (laughs) Snake. Well, I don't think anything goes in a linear direction. It's all just ups and downs, and sometimes you might have to take a few steps backwards because you had to use your emergency fund. And oh, okay, you're no longer ready to invest. You have to go and refill that emergency fund. And it's just being okay with that. We basically, I think you said this the other day, it, with a lot of things in life, the worry of the, the act is actually worse than doing the act itself. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, Stressing we about think, money was more stressful than not actually having the money. That's it. Yeah, exactly. So we worry before there's even a reason to worry and that is worse than the actual act itself. So I think with all these things, let's just recap. We've got, I'm not good with money and numbers. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough time. I'll never be wealthy, so what's the point? I'm afraid to make the wrong choice slash analysis paralysis. Um, these are all things that uh, you can move fast. And I think the fear of them now goes away once you get started. And once you just start committing yourself to learning a little bit about it, you don't mm. need to learn a lot. And sharing these first. fears with someone else. Yeah, that helps. I think For it sure really it helps. helps if you can find someone, whether it's on the internet in our Facebook community or if there's someone in your community or your life that you can talk through these fears with and just sort of go back and forward and look at the pros and cons and have someone to rein you back in if you start catastrophizing or spiraling and think the world's going to end. So, um like, mm. What is it? A fear shared is a fear halved, or do I make go. that one up? You did, that's a cake. Halved? Oh, no, it was like a problem that. shared is a problem halved. Yeah, fear is halved. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I definitely find it a lot like easier it. to talk it through with someone, and then you oh, realize yeah. once you've said it out loud, oh, it's actually not as big of a deal as Unless I Unless they agree with you. Mm. Maybe, okay. maybe journal. Don't <laughs> find no enablers <laughs> Yeah, when you're trying also, to overcome these financial fears. Talk yeah. to lots of different people or just like try and identify your own as well because I feel like in groups we all often talk to people with friends of the same mindset as us and mm. we're like, oh, we're not smart enough. They're like, oh, we're not either. So, Okay, yeah. yeah. You'd right. be surprised at who... Be careful about who you pick. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised at who knows. It might be an auntie or an uncle or grandma or grandpa 
they're the ones that might actually have experience with this. Yeah, or yeah. someone in your Facebook community That's as well. Mm. Or, yeah. yeah, it could be anyone. And uh, I found that in one of my best mates who was on the same journey. So I was very fortunate. Um, but there could be anyone. Like my uncle loves investing. And he taught me a lot about more like the behavioral side of investing, mm. which was which was really valuable at that time of my life. So just be prepared that, yeah, you won't get everything right. And that's okay. It yeah. can be scary. And that's okay too. It's a scary emotional step to look into these things and be like, why am I not taking action myself? It's a big, big moment. Yeah. But it's 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 really, really important. We know mm. for certain it's important. So um, there's a lot to take away from this episode. We'll have all the links to the resources in the show notes. Uh, yeah. Okay. And I think the episodes I did with Claudine, who's a high performance mm. mindset coach a couple of weeks ago, there's really a two good. part. We dived into mindset comparison. When's enough? Um, that would be a really good compliment to this episode if you haven't listened to them already. So I'll link them in the show notes. Yep. Great. Tash, this was fun. We should do it again. Thanks awesome. for joining us. Wow. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, great. We'll have links to, to Tash's um, profile and everything that you'll be able to see in the, the show notes. Um, and Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.